Hey there. How are you guys? If you are in the children's ministry, I don't even know how to describe it. I was going to say somebody that's little, but yeah, my, my family's doing uh, kids ministry. That might be hopeful for you that you think that if I'm teaching and my family's down there doing children's ministry, that I'm going to be really quick. Well, they love kids. So, but I will make you this deal. As much as you interact, we'll go through this a lot quickly. We're going to do a little low tech. If you haven't, uh, there's a handout and some pins in the back. If you don't have one, maybe raise your hand and uh, somebody will get that to you. Uh, you're going to want to follow along because I need as much guidance and assistance as helpful. And I just want to take this time to thank you as Driftwood. My name's Steve, if you don't know me, Steve Carswell. Uh, me and my family uh, live on mission. So we get to go around every day and see God do amazing things. We do that through sharing the gospel. And when people say yes to Jesus, we make a pledge to them that we will teach them the ways to follow Jesus. We'll disciple them. And we bring them into community. And that community looks like family, kind of like Driftwood. Do you guys feel like a family? You guys are a pretty amazing family. And I say that because we receive a lot of love from you. And so when we get these gatherings together, and it's like family, we meet in homes, we meet in parks, we meet in businesses, anywhere that we can meet, that they'll let us meet. And as that happens, we see the body of Christ come together. And then there's these amazing people like MJ who remind us again and again, the Holy Spirit is working through imperfect people to do amazing things. And then you see these loyal servants. And, and this is why I, I want to say this. You've got amazing servants. I don't say leaders because if you see what Eddie and JJ, they do day in and day out, they're amazing servants. Their time is not their own. They give it up for everyone else. It's terribly inconvenient. And, and I don't want to say that in a, in a negative way, but there was a time in my life being on staff, and it would be the point when I was the sickest, the tiredest, the most irritable, the least likely to give a proper response, that's when I would get a really important phone call, I gotta talk to you. Really, do you gotta talk to me right now? It would be like when I'm supposed to go see my kid play baseball. Be really inconvenient. And it sounds like that that's a problem and a burden, doesn't it? But see, the heart of a servant is when that happens, they eagerly run to go serve somebody. They give up their life for others' benefit. That they could see life from God's perspective. It's a beautiful motto for our family. So I say that as we pray for JJ and for Eddie, who's like a brother to me. I love him. going to get all teared up. I do love him. I just love his heart for Christ. Man, you know what I see when I look out here to you guys today? I see an example of that being multiplied in you. I see a church that gets here way too early to set up and make, make sure things that don't often work well, work well. I mean, you guys are still passing around a mic that you got to hold a certain way or it don't work. And you guys are making it work. 
Okay, we laugh. That's our. That's who we are. We take things that aren't perfect, and we use them to God's glory, and they become perfect. And so you all are a representation of that family, whether you know it or not, coming here and being part of this. So I say all that, so one, that we can pray for our servants, not just JJ, not just Eddie, but all the servants that are here today, ones that lead worship, the ones, ones that hand out stuff, the ones that make sure we park so we can all fit in the, the grass area and not be disruptive, the ones that set out the chairs, the ones that run in the mic and make me sound really good. I'll try not to mess that up. But you guys are all serving. You're serving one another. You're caring for one another. We're bringing meals to one another. We're praying for one another. Let's not stop being that family. Let's thank God for it. Let's encourage one another. And I pray today, out of anything that you get as we go through these scriptures together, I pray that's what you get is encouragement. It doesn't convict you as much as it inspires you. And so we're going to take a little moment. We're going to thank the Lord for everything he's done through Driftwood. Everything he's done through this family. Everything that he will do. And we're going to ask him to speak by the Holy Spirit through these scriptures. To show us how we should be. And where we should be going and what we should be doing. Does that sound like a good plan? Now before I pray, here's the caveat. If you guys don't play along, if there's not a little feedback, uh, this is going to go a little bit slower. Okay? Because I can only go so fast, so I need help. You guys promise to help me out? Okay, if you help me out, we're going to get through this, all right? All right, let's pray so we can get through this. Heavenly Father, Christ our King, Jesus our Lord, without you we're nothing. We're just broken vessels. Lord, there's so much in, in us that our flesh, our desires of our heart, Lord, that aren't of you, but yet you still, you blanket us with forgiveness. We don't have to depend on where we stand right or wrong because we depend on your righteousness that you're always right. And so you have cleaned us. You've made us whole. And we are laboring to realize that. So the truth sets us free, Lord. You say it. So I pray today that your Holy Spirit will reveal in us the truth that we are forgiven. And that, Lord, we have been given the authority to go represent you boldly to a world that needs you. Lord, as we do that, we pray that you get all the glory. You get all the honor. They don't look to us. They don't celebrate us, but they celebrate Christ. And Lord, that we would be hope. Lord, that we bring peace. Lord, that we bless one another and we would bless those who we do not know yet, who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to see you in your word. Lord, to recognize you in our lives. Lord, to celebrate you and to see your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, I am very low-tech. Most places we go, we don't have speakers or things like that. Can everybody see this? 
If you cannot see it, well, we'll we'll help you out. A little bit of glare that way, better. I didn't get a big enough forward. I'm sorry. So we're going to go through the scriptures. You've got some there on your paper. And the first one we're going to go to, if you don't have a Bible, uh, I printed the scriptures on the back. It's awfully small. I hope you can read it. But go ahead and turn to Genesis 1.1. And what does it say? In the beginning. What happened in the beginning? God created everything. Everything that we see. And that was good. He said it was good. And that was enough, wasn't it? It was perfect. And then what did God do in verse 1, 26 to 28? What does it say there? What happened? He did. And what did he tell them? This is interactive. You guys got to help me out. Be fruitful and multiply. So he gives a vision. God first creates everything and says that it's good. And the next thing he does, he says, okay, I've created you in my image. I've made you just like me. Now go be fruitful and multiply. The first thing he does is cast vision for what his heart is. But what happens in Genesis 3? I don't want you to read the whole thing. I didn't print out the whole chapter. Sin! How did it happen? Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to be like God. Did you ever wrestle with the act that he'd already told them, you're just like me? They were desiring something and believing a lie. And so sin comes into the world. And then what do we see in Genesis 6? Verses 1, this is 1, that's not a dot, that's a comma, and 5. Okay? What happens? Yeah! And what happens with that wickedness? Does it stay in one spot? So God said, go multiply. But what did man multiply? Wickedness. That saddened God's heart. So what was the response? What happens in Genesis 9-1? What's it say? Yeah. God destroys the earth. It leaves one family. And what's the first thing he says to that family? Be fruitful and multiply. Do you guys remember where that was in the beginning? Did anything change? Does God still have his vision? All right, so what happens in Genesis 11? It's 11, 1 through 4. What happens? Yeah, but why do they say they want to do it? What are they afraid of? It says they're fearful of something. Uh, they're afraid that they're going to be dispersed. 
What is part of God's vision? Go be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. So their first fear is we don't want to be dispersed. And what do they want to make a, a great name for? Do they want to make a great name for God? Great name for themselves. So they want all the honor and all the glory for themselves. And they're afraid to be dispersed. Does that speak to a lot of our own fears? Isn't that the human nature? You guys starting to see a pattern here? All right, we're going to do something a little different. This is not the way churches normally do things, okay, guys? We're going to have you pair up now. And I'm going to fill these in for you, by the way, and you can fill some in on your paper. But I'm going to have you go through the rest of these scriptures together. And I'm only going to give you a few minutes. So I don't want anybody doing many sermons out there, okay? No, no pontificating on your theological excellence. We're looking for real simple childlike answers. All right? I want you to team together. If you want to team together with your spouse, you want to look for a friend, don't leave anybody out. Hey, family, we don't leave anybody out, okay? All right? We got to make sure, I want you to actively look around and make sure everybody has a partner. All right? If Ashley sits alone over there and she doesn't have a partner, this is not, this could be a fail on the family, okay? Somebody needs to go be her partner. If Tom back there is sitting alone, doing this alone, it's not going to be helpful, okay? So here's what we're going to do. As you guys are finding your partner, you're going to read the verse, okay? Somebody go ahead and read the verse out loud for me. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. All right, so we're going to answer two questions, and you're going to answer the rest of these. Exodus 19, how far... In that passage, did God's vision extend? The whole earth, all nations. And in that passage, who do you see him using? Specifically, Israel, God's people, either one. See how you're going to answer that really simply? All right. I'm pretty sure the rest of the scripture are right. If, if they are wrong, it's my fault completely. I'm going to find which one it is in Genesis for you real quick, and then I'll correct that so you guys can go through that. All right, with your partner, I'm only giving you six minutes, so you better be simple, okay? Ready, set, go. All right, it's not a race, but Ashley and Destiny did win. Just saying. There might be a contention over in this corner and said, ah, we might have got there first. All right, let's go through this together. I don't want to cut your time short. It is such a blessing to hear everybody reading Scripture and doing all this together. Uh, I want you guys to help me out. One, I'm going to read Genesis 12. I did print it twice. It's such a, a lame goofball move. I'm so sorry. It's what you get when you're cutting and pasting really quickly. You should not do that. All right, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go into the land, and I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on the earth, you will be a blessing through, they will be blessed through you. All right. So who, how far did it extend in that first one? 
whole earth. Who is it going to use? Family of God. Specifically, he starts off with Abram. Right? And by the way, if you can't read one, you need the spirit of interpretation. I, I write really bad, okay? Sorry. That's why you got a paper. You can write it down so you can read it later, okay? But God's people. Yeah, his chosen people. All right, how about Psalm 67? Whole earth, all the people, all the nations. All right, who's he going to use? This is why I don't trust uh, signature verification, because I'm writing the same thing, and it does not look the same, does it? What do you think my name looks like? It's not accurate. Just a side note, a little extra for you guys. All right. Isaiah 49. It says what? You guys are using the same answer. What's it say? The whole earth. Not just part. I'll try a little bit better. Who's he going to use? Yeah, Jacob, people of Israel. All right, Israel, my children. Right? Specific language, isn't it? All right. So we, we jump over, and in Isaiah, you get the sense of what's coming. It's a beautiful book. Who's God going to use? He's going to use God's people, but he's talking about the Messiah, isn't he? Jesus. So we transition to Matthew 28. The Messiah has come. Great commission. Oh, my gosh, we love it. All right, I'm glad you looked it up. I'm glad I printed it right. Okay. So what's the vision there? Where's he where's he telling him to he tells him to go? Where's he telling him to go? All nations. Not just Jerusalem. Not just Judea, not just Samaria, all nations. Who's he say to go? God's people. Yeah, what's he call them? His disciples. The ones who follow him. Right? Acts 1.8, what happens? Come on. Where are you supposed to go? What's the vision? To the end of the earth. Start where you're at, right here in Jerusalem. In Judea, then Samaria. And then who's he using there? God's people. You guys starting to pick up on a pattern? Are you thinking I cherry-picked all these? You should go back and read, see if you can find one that doesn't agree with it. But he gives a very specific direction there to go. He's right. We have to be warned here, and I, I want to make a clear statement. I'm not saying God punished the believers. I think God uses this, and we need to be aware. What happens in... Acts 8.1. Paul, Saul, yeah, persecution comes. Now, funny thing, and we were chatting about this, how God sometimes uses the worst people that you think will never have anything to do with Jesus, and they're the ones that God uses. Paul goes, changes directions, doesn't he? But the first thing God does is send persecution to spread the church. Who stays? 
What's it say? The apostles. That's weird. Except the apostles. You mean the gurus didn't go? No, the gurus stayed in persecution. They were the focus of persecution. Who did God send? The church, the family, the everyday people. And what did they do? They spread the gospel. First in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Praise God to the ends of the earth. So I, I want us to understand, church, as much as we see this pattern, God is going to fulfill it. And if we look at the pattern of the church when Paul goes from town to town and acts, what happens? Now, some of this I think is Paul's fault. He goes to the synagogue and he picks a fight with the religious leaders every time. And he's a little spunky, okay? He is also the guy that used to kill people for the Jewish faith. So maybe he has a license to be spunky. But what happens right after that, every time? Persecution comes. Paul leaves. Who does he leave? The church. The church remains in persecution and the gospel rings out. What do we see in 2 Corinthians? What's the vision? Yeah, reconciliation. How far does the vision extend? To the whole earth. Who's he going to use? Ambassadors. What specifically does it say there? It's as if God makes his appeal through you. Is that what it says? God's plan is to use you. And so I wonder if you're comfortable with that. Because here's what I find for most people. Is that they start to take account of themselves. Oh, I don't speak very well and... I'm not very good with this, and, you know, I'm kind of quiet. Now, listen, that's exactly the way my wife describes herself. She's the sweetest lady in the whole world. Since she's not in the room, we're going to talk about her, okay? But I have to ask, do you think God is such a cruel God that he would mandate, he would command us to go make disciples, to go to all the nations, but then make you in such a way that you couldn't fulfill it. See, my wife is different than me. I will talk to anyone who slows down to say hi. Sometimes, even if they don't want to. And those people who know me know that's true, right? And the scarier, the better. My kids laugh. If you look intimidating, I'm going to go talk to you. Because I'm not intimidated. Because I know behind that facade, you just got a lot of fears. The world's full of fear. But my God made my wife completely different. My wife exudes nurture. When she walks into a room, when she used to work with autistic kids and behavior therapy, the, the leader of the school would say, when your wife enters the room, everybody calms down. It's a spiritual gift. Nobody thinks my wife is doing anything nefarious. Me, they got all kinds of doubts about. 
when we both show up the door, they got to go, are you okay? Is this man bothering you? But when she talks to people, they feel comfortable. When we stand in a room, kids know she's a mama. She exudes mama-ness. It's beautiful. I love it. It's one of the things that just it attracts me to her. She's wonderful in every way. She is not like me. Praise God. God uses her in a very specific way. So when you read these scripture, you could come across with a conviction that becomes an accusations, and accusations only come from the enemy because he's the accuser. And so if you read these and you're like, oh, I'm the worst Christian ever. One, you're right. But the good news, he's not holding you to your standard. He's holding you to his. He filled your spot. And he made you in a way that nobody else has made. You've got people in your life that only you can speak to. They're not going to talk to me. You know what? As great as Eddie and JJ are, you could bring all your friends to them. They may or may not like them. I like them. I hope you like them. But there's no guarantee somebody you know is going to like them. But you know what? They know you. And God put you in their life. There's family members that are going to talk to you just because you're family. Anybody got family like that? Is that okay to admit? It's, the camera's not pointing at you, it's pointing at me. So I'm going to, have, I'm going to answer phone calls today. Like, what do you mean? Am I one of those people? Like, yeah, if you had to call, you probably are. If you had to call and ask, you probably are. Still love you. Because love is not about whether you're perfect or not. Love is a choice. I, I commend myself to you. I love you. It's a choice. So you got family members that have to choose. Hey, I'm going to talk to you about Christ. You're just going to have to contend with that. That's who I am. You sit around with me. I'm going to ask you about who you think Jesus is. If you're my friend, it's going to come up. Because I don't know who else is going to talk to you about this. And if somebody else leads you to Jesus, I'm going to celebrate it. But here's where I really want you guys to wrestle. Turn to Revelation 7, 9. You got your Bible, look it up in there. Hopefully I printed it right on the paper. Jeez. So the vision that we see in the beginning, does God fulfill his vision? He doesn't. I don't know how you feel about this book. It's got a weird name, Revelation. So you think it's talking about the future. It's got all kinds of things in it that we're still trying to figure out and still trying to work on. But I'm really keen on this verse. Because as believers, guess who's there? We are. You know who else is there? That neighbor down the street that you got a hard time with. That family member who's not yet saved. I'm not saying everybody gets saved, but don't you have a hope that that's going to happen? Right now, there's people out sharing the gospel in nations where it's illegal to share the gospel and proselytize. There's going to be people there from that tribe. They're going to be there. It happens. God fulfills his vision. Is that not exciting? You want to know the exciting part of that? It has nothing to do with you. It's not done by your power. It's going to happen 
whether you're involved in it or not. It's going to happen even if you work against it. And I'm not promoting either of those things. I'm just letting you off the hook. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter if you print the right verse or not. Thankfully, it's in the Bible. It doesn't matter about being perfect. He fulfills his vision. We just get to be a part of it. We get to go do the things that God has called us to do and enjoy life and celebrate him and give him all the credit. And he does all the work. His spirit does the work. That should set you free. That should be a celebration. Because now we have a choice to love and delight in him by going to all the nations and all the earth if we count ourselves his people. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Does that take a little effort or a little pressure off of you? Now, I find that with most people that we hang out with, they love this idea. I love the idea of eating healthy. I'm not doing such a good job, okay? You do not come to me for health and eating right. Ellie, it's probably one you need to go talk to, okay? There's evidence in her life that that's going on. There's evidence in my life that it's needed. So, it's a little self-confession now, getting everything out, okay? He can't cut and paste, and he'd like to eat more healthy. I can agree with an idea, but have I surrendered to it? I love you guys. We may walk out of here and go, yes, I agree with the idea. But have we surrendered to it? Have we made some intentionality behind I'm going to do it? Here's the freedom. The moment you do that, that's your worship. That's the best song you could ever sing. When you resiliently, it is such an offense to the enemy. When you resiliently say, I surrender to it, I'm going to act on this. I don't have evidence around me, so I need something they call faith. It's a weird, really well word that we try to figure out, but I got no evidence around me. I got nothing to tell me except for your word and your spirit, because I feel you're welling up in me. I should do this. You know what else you need? need some family, some really weird family that likes to go do this stuff. So this is what we offer to people. I'm not asking you to go be something you're not, okay? Just come hang out with me. One, you'll feel like he really is weird. Two, you'll get to see God do amazing things. I don't guarantee that because of what I do. I just know if you go share the gospel, you give people the opportunity, you'll see some amazing stuff. Because he does all the work. So we just ask people to go out and hang out with us. Come with us. We'll go share the gospel where you like to go. So I tell this story often. I got a bunch of old man stories. You're only going to get one, maybe two today. So we're training some people how to do this. And so there's this young college, two college students in my car. One of them plays football. One's a cheerleader. And... I was like, where do you guys normally go? They're like, you serious? 
Well, yeah. So the cheerleader in back goes, I tried to call my work three times today to pick up a shift. I couldn't. And they made me come to this training. I do not want to go out. It's the most fearful thing in the world. The football player in the front seat says, I'm going to get sick and throw up. He's a big dude. I'm like, please do not throw up in my little car. I'm like, where do you normally go? They're like, we go to dollar store. So we pull up in the dollar store parking lot. And he's like, we are really going to do this? I'm like, yeah. I don't get out of my car. I bump into the guy. We share them right there as they're unloading their dollar store stuff. I would say groceries, but you got a lot more in the groceries at dollar store. And then we start going and walking through and sharing. And each time that we share, they see the response. And it goes from me doing all the talking and these two college students looking really nervous to they start interacting and praying for the people. And they start doing the things. By the end, a young lady who works at Dollar Tree made the mistake of saying hi. It's her fault. Totally. So I said, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? She starts crying right there in the middle of the store. She goes, my boyfriend physically abuses me. He's in jail, but he's getting out tonight, and I don't know what's going to happen. And so we pray with her, and I share the gospel with her. And she goes, this is what I want. I I don't have anybody to do this with. And so this big football player, really nice cheerleader, say, we're going to come. What time do you get off? We're going to hang out with you tonight. Now, the whole time over the PA, the manager's like calling her name. So we're like totally getting everybody in trouble here. It's what we do. It's fun to do nefarious things for Jesus. So she accepts Christ, they exchange numbers, and they go meet her and spend the whole evening with her so that she's not afraid. And they get in the scripture with her. They continue a lifelong relationship. And she looks back on that. She's like, I was saved at work. I want you to go back in scripture and look at how many times people got saved at work. The gospel is really disruptive. Jesus took them away from a family business, the disciples. It's a little disruptive. I think we get a little too over-concerned about being disruptive. This world is fading away. It's not going to last. If we disrupt it, it's going to die. We're rescuing people. I'm going to be disruptive. Praise God. So I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more faithful. Without any evidence... The trust in what Christ has done in you already. To take that conviction and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a stand against the enemy. I'm not gonna let it talk me into things that aren't true. God has specifically made me to do the work of ministry. He's made me an ambassador. God used me. I'm gonna be used by you. I'm gonna figure this out. If you need help. We'll help you. So I want you to spend a couple moments real real quick before we wrap up. There's some questions at the end of that paper. And and I just want to encourage you in this. There's a lot of times because I'm a fickle person, I will stand and I'll get inspired by something like, I'm totally going to do this. I'm going to do 50 push-ups a day. Okay, five. 
five, five, it starts to five, okay? And then 10 minutes later, I'm eating brisket. I forget a lot of promises when I'm eating brisket. I forget about them five push-ups. But you know what? There's something about writing down a commitment that changes stuff. And so this is in between you or anybody else. This is between you and Jesus. And sometimes we need to do things physically. And so read some of those questions. And if it builds up a conviction on you that is full of shame, I just want you to recognize the red flag. That's the enemy, okay? All right, the best way to silence the enemy is one, say you're wrong, the word, and to act on what God has called, to have faith and act on what God's called you to do. So I want us to take a moment. I want you to reflect on that. And then maybe if you're bold, you will share that with somebody because we do need accountability. And so let's just take a moment. We'll be quiet and still. And then I'll wrap us up in prayer. Lord, because of the world we live in, we don't get a lot of moments of silence. And even short ones are kind of awkward. So forgive us for letting our minds wander. And forgive us for just not recognizing how powerful you are. Lord, that you created everything we see with just a word. There's nothing out of your reach. You've taken sin and death and conquered it. We got nothing to fear. And yet we still fear. We still trust you a little less when we look at ourselves. So help us, Lord, to see you, to trust in you. And any voice other than yours, Lord, even if it be ours, we just ask you to make it quiet. Lord, allow the conviction to be a healthy encouragement, to trust in you more, to celebrate you with glee with our family. I pray there to be no division among these people, that they all of one accord, Lord, would seek your face and look to glorify your name and love one another as they are loved by you. Lord, let them be aware of how loved they are by you. Not because of their knowledge, not because of their works, not because of anything that they could offer you. Lord, that you love them. You love them first, even when we were enemies. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that's got an obstacle of sin, Lord, I pray that you make them aware of it. Lord, that you remove that temptation, that they may celebrate your victory. And Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't trust you that way, I pray that they will. I pray that this family would have every opportunity to share that good news. That you died to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing and that we now can accept your life and live in honor of you as your children. 
So help us make a commitment to that, Lord, to go to all the nations, the whole world, not just Jensen Beach, Stewart, Fort Pierce, Treasure Coast, not just Florida. Lord, not just this nation. One of the scriptures said, it is too small thing for the nation of Israel. Lord, I pray that we don't become so nationalistic that we don't think about the nations. Lord, let us go and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.